0: This is Theory of Change. I'm Matthew Sheffield. How do you impeach a president? As a legal matter, it's actually very simple. But as a political matter, it's anything but. Impeaching and removing a president has never been done before in American history. Even impeachment trials themselves are extremely rare in the history of the republic. Only two presidents, Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, have been impeached. ...while Richard Nixon resigned before the House and Senate took action against him. That means it's historically very significant... ...that House Democrats have decided to begin the impeachment process against President Donald Trump. In the short term, however, it's unclear what might happen. As my guest in this episode, Lee Mieringoff of the Marist Poll, discusses... ...there's a real wild card, public opinion. As he found out in his latest Marist survey... Americans are growing more supportive of the House's impeachment investigation, but they also seem to prefer that Trump's fate be decided at the ballot box in 2020 rather than in the Senate through impeachment. That could change, of course, if different facts come out about what the administration did with Ukraine. One thing adding to the uncertainty in all of this is how impeachment, whatever form it takes, might affect the 2020 Democratic nominee. With all the focus that Trump receives normally in the news cycle. Just imagine how much more he'll receive if he's being impeached. And that could cause a problem for Democrats in the general election, as most of them are not nearly as famous as President Trump. There's also no telling how President Trump's supporters may respond to impeachment. After all, there were a number of reports earlier this year suggested that Trump was interested in having Democrats impeach him for Russia, Ukraine is another matter, of course. And then there's also what the vanishingly small number of true political independents, who do still exist, what are they going to think of impeachment? When you combine all this together, it's possible that the net effect could be zero, at least electorally. We live in a hyperspeed news cycle, and leaders of both parties have vowed to move impeachment quickly, so who knows what might happen? One person who might is Lee Merritton. He is the longtime head of the Marist College Polling Operation, which does polls for a number of different organizations, including NPR and PBS. And that is what we're going to be talking about today, his most recent survey. So thanks for being with me today, Lee. Hey, it's my pleasure. All right, well, so focus of, of the poll that you guys just came out with is about impeachment in a political yeah. context, and you guys ran a lot of interesting angles on that. But the overall broader number is there appears to be somewhat of a shift in favor, uh, small at least in this poll, uh, toward impeachment on on the part of the public.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think first of all, you know, there's there's what I like to call the uh, the, uh, the the triple threat going on right now. To use a football term, but you know there's three levels of information that we're we're collecting one is the information on whether people support the inquiry into the impeachment which is what's going on right now whether people support impeachment itself which would be the house vote uh uh, to, uh, to formally charge the president, and then it would go, of course, to the Senate, and then there's the uh, attitudes towards, you know, whether he would be removed or not. Uh, so so there's actually three different aspects. And what's interesting about public opinion on this is that, you know, as far as the inquiry, uh, we see a fairly noteworthy change from before September 24th, which is when Nancy Pelosi, of course, announces that she's going to, you know, formally move into the inquiry phase in the House, um, to current uh, public opinion. And, And in fact people were really opposed. It was only 41% in most, or low 40s in most of the polls before September 24th. The numbers now are over 50 um, in almost every poll in terms of um, whether they, uh, they think this inquiry right now into impeachment is uh, warranted. Um, and then what I find, and I don't know how deep you want me to go into the data, but uh, you know I'll, I'll take your lead on that, but I think what's interesting is on the other two aspects, the, you know, the the formal charge of impeachment, the vote in the House and a vote in the Senate to remove. Those numbers are also in the high 40s, which suggests that there's a group of people who are sort of, you know, against the president, regardless of the level. I mean, the numbers are two or three points different, but they're fairly similar. And there's a group of people the president has in his corner. And to have a debate on this and then to have a you know, a so-called trial in the Senate, people aren't waiting around to find out the information as much as they're rooting for their side, and they've already locked in. Um, We saw some changes among independents in this last poll. Uh, They're the group that's not locked in, but as far as mostly Democrats and Republicans, uh, you know, they've already, you know, sort of picked Six sides, and uh, so it's more of a rooting than uh, yeah for their side than uh, than trying to you know get to the bottom of what may or may
0: not have occurred. hmm Well, and and you're definitely right to draw a distinction between impeachment and removal. Yeah. Because it does seem like the the respondents are 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 drawing that distinction as well, at least some of them. But, let, but let's uh. Yeah, we... And
1: also that you know impeachment sort of. Means sort of the same thing to everybody too, so impeachment people aren't drawing those distinctions necessarily as, you know it's sort of like do you impeach, and then people have to be told that well, that's not really removal, that's just you know the charge and and this isn't even at that point yet so
0: yeah well and so the the top line number though now is in in the latest one is fifty two percent approved yep. of the inquiry and that is a slight um, increase from 49% um, in your yeah. September. Yeah, it, but you know, when you take the, it was uh,
1: prior to uh, you know a couple weeks ago, it was a net plus three points, and now it's a net plus nine points. So mm-hmm. if you take the approved and going up and the disapproved going down, uh, there's been a movement of six points in the last couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, mostly by independents. Yeah,
0: and that's, and that's a, a 19 point shift.
1: That, that, and that's what's creating it. Uh, there is a little movement, and, yeah, you know, we've always been looking at this with uh, with Donald Trump, you know, where's his base and is it it's showing any signs of, of cracking? And, uh, you know, there have been different polls along different times that shows a little of it, and, and, you know, we're seeing in some polls and ours, you know, some evidence of that among uh, white evangelicals, uh, among some former Trump supporters. Uh, from twenty sixteen, but you know the Republican base remains largely intact, and and I think we're not at the point by any stretch of the imagination where his numbers are going to start plummeting within the Republican Party. That will make senators, Republican senators, suddenly say, "Gee, I got to get off this because I could go down with a ship." We're not that by you know at that point by any stretch of the
0: imagination. Yeah, um, and then there's and then there's also an issue with. The idea of removal that it does not receive as much support as impeachment does. So I not you talk about that a little bit. Yeah,
1: and I, and I think. Look, I think there's a, a realistic factor here. Yes, so so the numbers fall down on on the question of of, of removal from office. And realistically, uh, you know, you're talking about you know 53 Republican senators, and you need two thirds to convict uh in the Senate and so there's probably, you know, you're you're probably talking close to twenty senators. Uh I think that's the number that would actually have to bolt the president and uh on this. So I think realistically there's you know the likelihood of him actually being removed from office is uh, very remote, and I think people sort of get a sense of that. I mean, that seems like a, a tall lift, uh, you know, heavy lift, and, and all these numbers. Um, but having said that, you know, in the prior, the prior impeachments. Um, you know and, and you know certainly in recent history uh with uh you know where nixon was and and where um uh, bill clinton was in terms of you know obviously there were different levels of, of, in terms of how far this reached but in both of those events they were presidents in their second term uh, what's interesting about Donald Trump? This is a first-term president, which means, assuming he runs for re-election, which you know he's given every indication of, and assuming nothing has happened by way of removal uh, during this campaign, depending on the timing of when the House does, let's say, formally charge him, um, you could have a pres- incumbent president running for re-election with an impeachment hanging over his head there's not going to be a lot of other oxygen in the room for political dialogue in those circumstances uh you know Mitch McConnell says if it gets to him he's going to dispense with this very quickly cuz i don't think they want to be dealing with that during much of the campaign but it's, it is you know it's terrain we have never traversed before uh we we don't you know, a a a potentially impeached president Facing a trial in the Senate while running for re-election, there is no precedent for that. So we just don't know how that's going to play out.
0: Yeah, well, and and it's interesting. You you guys also asked your poll respondents if his fate should be decided at the ballot box or through yeah. impeachment.
1: Yeah, and, um, yeah, I thought that was you know should this should uh, you know this process that we're talking about now be you know how how things get resolved or the ballot box and 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 it, I think it's interesting that on the one hand there are numbers very positive for uh, what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are doing in terms of people thinking this is very serious that um, That if the president did what uh, is being alleged he did with having a foreign uh, Person, uh, you know entity, uh, you know digging up dirt on a potential opponent um, You know how much people find that to be unacceptable also so in a sense she ha she and the Democrats have cover in that There's a sense that Trump has done something wrong Wrong, uh, that's unacceptable, uh, and it's very serious. Having said that, they're not convinced that this whole impeachment process, although they clearly are at least mixed on it, but they're not convinced that this is going to be the way to go and that perhaps the better way is to do this through the ballot box and have it be an electoral determination. I think a concern realistically that. You know what? I mean, people are not loving all the conflict and and what DC has become in this government, and you know I think that's some of the frustration that brought Trump into the uh, Oval Office, and it's probably the same kind of. Frustration that could in theory remove him from presidency uh but people want to do that electorally. I think they feel they have more control over it. They don't have a lot of confidence in our institutions. there's not a lot of trust there, unlike in let's say uh the Nixon period where there was not only a more bipartisan feeling uh but there's also greater trust in our institutions. Now you don't have bipartisanship, you have incredible polarization, and you also don't have trust in these processes. The bottom line on that is so people seem to be more comfortable uh, having this be resolved at the ballot box, Um, even though only about half the people think that elections are fair right now. Uh, so there's, there's just a lot of concern everywhere you turn on this, but uh, you know there's still some convincing to do. At least that question indicates there's still some convincing to do on the part of the Democrats to justify uh, the legitimacy of what they're doing going forward.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and just for those who haven't seen the survey, there are 48% of people who say that Trump should not be removed and 48% say he should be. Whereas 58% of respondents say that he should be either his fate should be decided at the ballot box, and, yeah, and only, only 37
1: against only 37 who we are saying the impeachment process. So there's a 21 point gap between let's have the electoral process resolve this, let's not do it through the Congress, and so that's a that's a very significant. Uh, And one that Trump's side will, I assume, come to start talking about, that the Democrats, which they already talked about a little bit, they're trying to reverse the 2016 election. And, you know, the election becomes something that seems to be the credentializer for who occupies office. Of course, you know, and this doesn't get said, but if Donald Trump happened to be impeached and removed from office, Donald, uh, you know, Pence is now the vice president, becomes president. It's not like a reversal of the election. <laughs> Pence now becomes president. He's the vice president, so it's not like you all of a sudden Hillary Clinton now becomes president. That's not where we're going on this. Part of it is you know banging the drum and and you know you know sort of revving up your base, but the reality is if Donald Trump is not president for whatever reason, Pence will be.
0: Yeah, and there are some people who. Would rather have Trump than have Pence. Oh. Um, you have to figure that. Yeah. Now, there, 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 there was another interesting little nugget in in the crosstabs as as I was going through them. You guys and many other pollsters have long asked about uh, presidential reelection, whether people plan to vote for the president or not. And it's interesting that as things have gotten a bit more heated between Trump and the Democrats in Congress, um, it seems that. His numbers have inched up a little bit in terms of people saying they would definitely vote for him, Um, and that's interesting in the context that there was some reporting before this whole Ukraine stuff sort of blew up that Trump actually wanted to be impeached uh, (laughs) for Russia's Although although
1: I think that isn't—I don't think he'd be tweeting quite as much as he is if that were really the case. Uh, But there's certainly an argument to be made that. This will... Re- and it has already. I mean, you know, we're not talking much at all about the Democrat candidates, except for Joe Biden, who has obviously been brought into this part of the discussion. But in terms of their issues in healthcare and the environment and all the things that they were talking about uh, during this debate so far, well, that's kind of gone by the wayside. Impeachment is now the discussion point. and And so in some ways... Um, that may be a better political terrain for Donald Trump to fight on the taxes, the the, the uh, you know the tariffs, what's going on with the Kurds and health care and gun control and all these issues that may be a more difficult lift for him. Um, but I, let me come back to you because you do raise an interesting point on this question, and I, I did want to. You know, talk a little bit more about that. So, so we asked people whether they're definitely going to vote for Donald Trump for re-election, definitely vote against him. And the number right now is 39 say they definitely will, and 52 percent say they definitely won't. And that 52 jumps out, and you say, "Wow, there's a majority of people who say right now they will definitely not vote for the president. Stick a fork in him, he's done." The reality is, close to 54 percent didn't vote for him last time, and he won. Um, so, in a sense, you know when you take his number, which was in the, around forty six well, there was votes for Hillary Clinton, there were votes for some minor party candidates, and that's about the number of people who uh, you know similar proportion of people who didn't vote for him, and so he sort of has the same size group opposing him as when he started, even though that fifty two looks like a really stark number to go into a re-election campaign where a majority of people say they definitely won't vote for you. I mean, that doesn't mean they're all going to be like that, you know, six months or a year from now, but it seems like an incredibly uphill fight for him. And obviously he needs to, you know, distribute his support very carefully in different states as they were able to in 2016, winning the whole thing by about 80,000 votes. Nonetheless... You know, it, this is the landscape. He's got his base. He talks about his base. He feeds his base. He's not reaching out, and that's the strategy he's running on. And right now, the countries are dividing pretty much along that fault line.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's what it appears to be. His strategy it has a lot in common with past Republican presidential strategists. Yeah, like, I remember
1: 2004 was uh, the Bush reelection campaign was all about the base.
0: Yeah, and. At the, and the other thing also, though, is that um, – and you mentioned policy matters as uh, are not being as uh, salient now in the public discourse. And that is and that is an advantage for Trump because his policies, generally speaking, are not polling very well. Like when you ask people about his – what he wanted to do with health care, you ask him about sure. his tax cuts. This is, not where,
1: this is not where he wants – I mean if you go back to what he said he would do uh, in you know, so-called build a wall and Mexico will pay for it. And other things along those lines, empty the stream of swamp, and uh, you know stop corruption. And well, this is not the Middle East that will be easy to solve. I mean, this is not what's happened. So if you're going to fight issue by issue and promise by promise, this is not the war the White House wants to fight. They want to you know just keep going with the people who are frustrated and look to Donald Trump to. In two ways, be an answer on women's issues, because there's a lot of support uh, right to life. And, you know, that sense that when the Supreme Court vacancies occur, that will be where he will prove valuable to the more conservative support he has. And so that's a big deal. And then there's the other people who feel very frustrated culturally that they don't feel a part of the process. Um, It's a more rural vote. Um, it's a white vote, it's uh, very often people who don't have a college education. Um, that's you know, a lot about what he is and you know, the the splits, the gaps are getting wider and wider. So the red is getting redder and the blue is getting bluer and there's very little overlap. Um you had seven people in the nineteen seventies in the house. Uh, on the Judiciary Committee who voted to impeach Richard Nixon. You will not get seven votes. <laughs> you may not get any votes in the House Judiciary Committee if it comes to a vote to to impeach um, um, Donald Trump. I mean it's just a very different party and the parties have changed and they're they're much more polarized and homogeneous now than they were um and that makes for greater polarization and that's what we're seeing um so so you know yes there's something to be said for the Trump side uh not welcoming this because I don't think it's a positive, but it's certainly if you if you think that Donald Trump thrives when there's distractions going on, and certainly that's been his forte, changing the, the, the daily dialogue,
0: this is an opportunity for that. Yeah. Well and you look at the generic ballot question, I thought that sure. was that was another thing that was interesting on this. And you guys hadn't run that question since November of last no. year. Yeah. Uh, and the
1: generic question, of course, is, you know, are you going to vote for a democratic, con- and democratic and your congressional district or Republican? Sort of a measurement of kind of like which party has got the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 2018, the Democrats were pushing between, you know, you know, six and 10% on that. And I think the number ended up seven and that was enough to have a major impact in the house. Now the number is a three. So this is a, you know, there's not a lot of enthusiasm out there. It's more for some of the candidates than it is for the institution. And so people are not looking to Congress or any existing institutions really with any kind of sense of trust, confidence, or enthusiasm. It's, it's a difficult time in terms of, you know, the media, the Trump administration, the Congress. <laughs> you know, these are not. This is not uh, – notice I left out public opinion pollsters in that, but certainly <laughs> that would also be part of the group who is not necessarily seen as being, you know, accurate or real or unbiased in any of this.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I think is interesting also is that when you look at the uh, – th- there, there seems to be a bit of a bifurcation in public opinion right now, at least in, in your polls, about – whether Democratic presidential candidates should be talking about impeachment. And that was interesting because in the previous debate that they had, Trump wasn't mentioned. Yeah, it hasn't at, come at, up. At all.
1: It's sort of like, as I say, the 800-pound gorilla. I, find that, I found that surprising. I was teaching a class here at Barris, and the whole class was watching the, the, the debate, the last one. And at the end, I said, what, what was missing from here? And finally, one of the students said, they talk about the impeachment, and I said, "Yeah," and uh, and and I just think that that will not be the case now. I mean, I think in the next debate you will see that. I mean, it would almost be look like they were intentionally avoiding it if it doesn't come up. And uh, I know Joe Biden has recently. Climbed on board. You know, in some ways, I think Elizabeth Warren was advantaged by how soon and how early she did come out, and and what that did for her money. But if you look at what the Democrats alone, or they line up on these issues. Eighty five percent of Democrats think there should be this inquiry. Eighty seven percent of Democrats, similar group, think that the House should vote to impeach and Eighty five percent of Democrats think there should be, uh, you know, the Senate should vote to to remove uh, President Trump. There should be a conviction. So you're talking about, you know, eight and a half out of 10 Democrats. Well, if you're Joe Biden. How can you say anything else, given that you're also being attacked as part of this process? How can you say anything else other than this warrants impeachment? Uh, This is where the Democrats are. Now, does this deflect attention from what they've been talking about in terms of different plans for health care and what this does to that dynamic? Oh, I think it really does. I mean, I think there's... There's a place for impeachment discussion, and there's a place for issue discussion. And I think right now, the impeachment discussion is going to take up that oxygen um, in the room. And and I think that that is, we're going to see that in this this week's
0: coming debate. You know, and there's a risk there for the candidates, especially the ones that are not, you know, that are much further back in the polls. Yeah. That the more people talk about Trump, the very little amount of time that they get. (laughs) um, Yes.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be spent, spent
0: talking uh, about Trump.
1: If it's ten or eleven or twelve people in the debate, I mean, at some point this has got to narrow it down. So. People hear what they wanted from the people that they're mostly supportive of I mean if you take the support for uh, Bernie Sanders and the support for Elizabeth Warren you're over 50% right now uh, if you want to throw in Bernie Sanders you're you're getting to about two-thirds of the Democrats just supporting those three people Not a lot of support elsewhere in the room let me, let me say one other thing though um, who, who's going to Perhaps get hurt by this, and that is um, uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, and the mayor Pete from from Indiana. In that he had found himself a very interesting place and, and a niche, if you will, in public opinion. This argument of uh, Medicare for all um, is not an issue that you can bring to the American people as a whole successfully. Medicare for all is supported as long as you say, as long as there's a choice, or you, get, you don't have to give up your private insurance. So when judge is doing his campaign messaging, he's talking about Medicare for all if you want it. And that's a big difference than what Joe Biden and uh, Nancy Pelosi, who are saying Medicare for all, period. And I think Buttigieg was starting to get some traction on that issue. He still may. Uh, you know, the Iowa caucus and New Hampshire primary are still a long ways off in terms of political campaigning. Um, but I think right now he was starting to get some attention for this very more moderate um definition of where he wants to be on health care in contrast with with um, with uh where um uh Nancy uh, where where um, Warren and uh, Joe Biden are. I, I and, uh um Bernie Sanders are I should say. The the uh the, the pure Medicare for all period. And so this this movement towards discussing impeachment, well, that doesn't give him any you know built-in advantage. I mean, he'll say whatever his position is. But Joe Biden is getting a lot of attention, um, and although people think it may hurt him, it isn't yet. If it does, in other words, he needed to forcefully respond. It was a little slow in happening, um, but I think he has you know made it very clear right now when he did come out for impeachment. It might be a little little slow to the dance, a little late, but, uh, you know, it's okay, given most of the people aren't watching this as closely as, you know, uh, you and me and others like us
0: are. Yeah, and I think that that's a very good point to make because a lot of people who work in politics or media or follow it very closely have a tendency to think that events of a given day or week are immediately going to have an impact on public opinion, and that's just not the case.
1: No, and, and and what's more interesting is in the current climate, as we were talking about earlier, people are not necessarily information or fact-driven. So even if things are being paid attention, you're watching Fox TV or you're watching MSNBC and it's being filtered in a certain direction uh, to where your predispositions may already be. You're not getting conflicting information in this so called echo chamber, so you 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 do end up with um not adjusting and learning as much as I said before you're rooting, so the information is you know these daily developments are just filling in the details it's not gonna. You know, Stephen Colbert is not going to suddenly start talking positively about Donald Trump because he learned something differently. It's just not going to happen. And I think people are, you know, let's say watch you know, they're they've already lined up. I mean, it's not, you know, and if you've watched Fox News, you're you know, you're taken care of. You're, you're you've already you already, you know, picked your side, and and that's where the polarization that we are living in currently. Uh, boy, this really
0: um, speaks to all that. Yeah, although. I I do think that cable cable news is not nearly as popular as as it's often perceived as. Uh, I mean, you know, like on a given night, you know, only two million people or a little over two million people or three million, depending on the show, um, are watching. Um,
1: Yeah, it's fascinating to me. It has been for some time that what you're saying is true, and yet it seems to drive the discussions. And and Trump's tweets – most of most of even Trump backers don't say they find out about him through his tweeting, but yet it sort of you know plays around and kicks around and bounces off the walls a few times and you know lo and behold, it does become what the discussion is and and so yeah, I mean you know it's an outside outsized impact given the size of the audience but it still seems to drive the discussion so much. Um, and so, you know, and, and people are following at least the impeachment stuff closely. Although it was interesting, in this poll, as opposed to two weeks earlier, uh, the number of people who were following it very closely fell off by about seven points. Um, so I'm not so sure how much appetite people have for this you know, back and forth and, you know, whether it's just right now, it may be serious, but it could be increasingly seen as, you know, just political poison and maneuvering, at which point the cynicism people have about the process, what takes over, could happen.
0: Yeah, well, and actually on that point, and it's, you guys didn't ask about it in this survey, but I would be interested in seeing, because w- one of the points of conflict between the White House and the uh, the the and the House has been that Pelosi has not had an actual formal vote to open the impeachment yeah. inquiry. And... That's the centerpiece of a letter that was recently sent by the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, saying that because there is no formal process, we don't have to cooperate. And so it'd be interesting to see where the public you know what they think, whether it should be just a investigations without a formal vote to begin them. Because, of course, it, by, the, by the Constitution, it's not required. But does the public think that's a good idea? I suspect that that may be something that, that Trump has in his corner there
1: the same uh you know a certain position trump is going to say he's cooperating and be happy to cooperate as long as the democrats uh nancy pelosi on her side are going to say we're just trying to get to the bottom of the story you know what are the facts you know we're going to follow the facts where they take us and we need this information clearly both are having an eye to 2020 and this is a political battle it, it, it's it's not really about you know, finding out the information as much as it is what in, what will this have and what impact this will have on the dialogue. And surprise, surprise, politicians are acting politically. I mean, you know, So that's where we got it. And so the president has made that case. And, you know, what's interesting, he initially started his defense by taking the position of, yes, I did that. So what difference does it make? And he sort of backed off that because I suspect some of his advising was that, you know, you got to watch the legalities of that. So now there's been a little muddying of the waters on that, and I noticed that Vice President Pence was sort of backpedaling for the president on that, um, and some of you know on some of these issues. Well, he was when I came to China. He was just joking about that. You know, if you look at the tape, he wasn't joking. I mean, it's like you know I tell a lot of jokes. You can usually tell there's a smile and there's a laugh. Um, he wa he wasn't joking. He was sort of just grandstanding and that's his style his base doesn't care about that i mean they, they they like that and uh you know his his staff are nervous when he goes off script and sort of realm he you know, moves into the realm of things that might be, not be totally legal and then they worry about that part of it and so that's where they have to sort of work around it and then uh you know massage their position a little bit. Um, and that's what's been happening. But again, that's uh, the level that you and I are talking and following, and this is not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, you know, the the level that uh, the public is uh, connected to. Yeah. Understandably, I mean, you know, there's a lot of other things on people's lives than you know worrying about, you know, the the uh, envoy of the United States to Ukraine or to Europe, and what Rudy Giuliani's aide, you know, these guys working with Rudy, what they were doing or not doing. I mean, it's all like sort of like intriguing and nutty stuff, but I don't know how much people, you know, connect with it.
0: Yeah, well, and it certainly doesn't help things that all the Ukrainian people seem to have last names that sound almost exactly the same.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. So these, uh, yeah, the Russian names too, and... Although I must say that the whole thing with Rudy Giuliani, having been watched him in New York as his mayor for all those years, and having watched him in the, you know, the court, the prosecutor office before that, I mean, New Yorkers have a long history with Rudy Giuliani, and this is kind of like an odd place for him to sort of be in the twilight of his career. Um, somebody said who worked with him when he was the prosecutor. Uh, that the Rudy Giuliani of uh, them, when he was a prosecutor, would prosecute the Rudy Giuliani today. And I thought that was very interesting. I mean, uh, it's hard to you know wrap my hands around what Rudy Giuliani thinks he's gaining or not gaining from this other than he has clients and he's making money and all those kinds of things. But is this where he wants his political career to, you know, to, 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 for the sun to go down eventually, and I think that's you know some surprising for people who've watched him a long time. Seems like an odd place for him to be.
0: Yeah, well, it at least keeps him in the spotlight, which has been. It, does,
1: it does that, and, and there's no doubt that you know he he covets that uh, just as the president does, and. uh you know, I think that you know he, look, he he ran for president. I mean, I think there's no doubt he has that kind of ambition. Uh, that's obviously no longer going to happen for him given his age. Uh, but you know, he's certainly you know a guy who's still you know people want to interview and get his view on, him because you want him, cause he has the presidency here, and that that gets him that point of uh, of uh, credibility and access, um, and that's a lot of what attracts. The media to interviewing him, um, I'm just finding it you know now he's in a little bit of a political pickle and it may be a legal problem, and it's just he you know someone say he probably should have known better than some of this stuff um, depending on how it plays out i mean. I was nurtured during Watergate, and you know, and during Watergate we used to say it's always the tip of the iceberg. Something would happen, and then it would you would peel the onion skins back, and there'd be six other things. And that's so, you know, this whole thing with Ukraine, and then Rudy gets brought into it, and Pompeo gets brought into it, and then Rudy's having lunch with two guys who are about to leave the country, and you know, it just it gets messier and messier. I mean, it's a cops and robbers show after a while.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, it's the other the other thing I think looking at Watergate um for that comparison is that you know, if you look at the reportage of the Washington Post and New York Times from that time, um it seems like they were a lot more careful about their stories um and Woodward and Bernstein it, to my recollection had only one story that they had to retract whereas with Trump, you know, there's been a, I can't, I've lost count of how many stories there have been that were not proven to be correct. Um, yeah, yeah. And well, I think that the one thing
1: Woodward and Bernstein, you know, gave birth to, as you know, is this whole generation or two, maybe more than that now of, you know, reporting as as an investigative process. Investigations are funny because sometimes you can be misled, sometimes you know, the conclusions aren't as warranted, and you know, you know, you know. Uh, someone uh, you know was talking to me just the other day about is there a bias in the news uh, one way or the other? And the position was taken: if the bias exists in the medium, it's because people really would like to make a story a splash. And so it's not necessarily a liberal or conservative bias as much as it's, you know, I want to be part of the action. I want to, you know – and so I think what you're alluding to is that, you know, whereas in, um, you know, the Woodward and Bernstein Wargate days, you know, there was a a slow building of the case, uh, this thing is flying. And when you move quickly, sometimes, you know, truth takes a backseat. And so, I think there are gonna be mistakes, and I think we have seen some uh and when you're going against donald trump i mean, that that magnifies it because that's what he's saying is you know that's what that's what a uh, for him a kangaroo court's all about, and that's what Rick news is and all that so if you make a mistake, you're feeding his um his case uh by a, a factor of two. Than if you don't. But so you're, yeah. So I think a lot of reporting has gone in that direction. Although the preponderance of it is, you know, trying to get information from the administration, which I find amazingly a number of leaks that are coming. I think Donald Trump is uh, beside himself with just the level of information that comes out about who was on what phone call and and you know what was said and you know who spoke to whom and what happened. I mean, it just seems that. You know, if there's only two or three people in the room, and one of them is Donald Trump, somebody's doing the leaking, and there's—you know—if it's not him, it's one of the other two. <laughs> you know, it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, it's a process that I—I I find uh, interesting, just from an outsider, to how the process of journalism is can be both people setting you up, but also lots of information just flying around the White House. Um, I can see where Donald Trump really starts talking to fewer and fewer people uh, and his family mostly because those are where he finds trust. I mean, it's not the first president who's found trust to be the most, and loyalty to be the most important values. Because I think as a president, you see a lot of things buzzing around you. And if you can really depend on someone to be on your team and stay on your team, uh, that's something that counts even more than someone who might be really smart or you know, has good answers to things. I mean, you really want that loyalty because it ultimately it's probably a pretty lonely job, <laughs> I'm guessing.
0: Yeah. Well, that is something that past presidents have said actually. Um,
1: yeah. I'm mean, thinking of Lyndon Johnson, thinking of Richard Nixon, uh, you know, Bill Clinton during the impeachment. I mean, a lot of people have gone through rough times in the Oval Office and you know, they pull the, the, you know, the wagons, they pull that circle in closer because they just don't, you know, it's one way of reacting to it by the end of the Johnson years in the sixties or, you know, I mean, he was not really reaching out. He didn't have multiple sources of information, just became narrower and narrower. And that's, that's a danger. And, um, you know, if Trump goes down that road, um, you know, that's a that's a problem for him because he does need that grounding, even if he doesn't like it. In other words, he doesn't want to hear what the FBI and CIA briefings are because he doesn't trust that. Uh, but he needs to hear it, um, whether he doesn't like what they're telling him or not.
0: Yeah, well, and and on that point, you know, one of the things that he had asked the Ukrainian president about mm-hmm. um, was whether the the servers that uh, had been hacked by of the Democratic National Committee were actually in Ukraine, but that that is literally a internet conspiracy theory for which there is no evidence.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think you know, and not to beat up on the president unreasonably, but I mean, you know, the, the places he gets information and the places sometimes he repeats and retweets things are very questionable, to say the least. And you know, he doesn't draw that distinction, and it puts him in the middle of this sort of. Unreality, um, which is funny because you know, was you know he was sort of in reality TV, and that wasn't real. But now he's in, he's in the real part of the world. This is politics that is real. But he's talking about the unreal part. So I don't know. It's, it's sort of life has gotten too complicated.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, now one of the other um, questions that you guys asked uh, toward the end of the. Of the survey ballot was if your representative in Congress votes to impeach Trump would this make you more likely or less likely or make no difference Um, and it was interesting that the the biggest number was saying it would have no difference, 43% uh, They're locked
1: in they're locked in In which I think that's you know uh, people know right now they're Democratic, they're Republican they're anti-Trump, they're pro-Trump, and, you know, that they sort of have, you know, I mean, he's such an unusual president, uh, whether you like him or dislike him, it's very unusual and sort of like, people don't know whether this is the new normal or this is just, you know, an aberration. Uh, but when it comes to Congress, I mean, you know, Congress, uh, people don't love Congress. I mean, the numbers for Pelosi Mitch McConnell are not great, and the numbers for both the House and the Senate are not great. Um, that's not a new story. I mean, that's been going on for quite some time. Um, but when it comes to Congress, I mean, eh, it doesn't make much difference, because I know, I know where I'm going to be on Election Day and what slavers I'm pulling.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think, that, I think that's what that question gets
0: at. Um... Well the partisan breakdown was interesting on that question as well yeah. though because 42% of democrats said it would make them more likely that was um, yeah. but only but 50% said no difference whereas if you yeah. look at republicans the overwhelming majority of them 67% said it would make them less likely yeah. uh, and then for independents the biggest number by far was it would have no difference uh, yeah. so yeah. it does suggest that there may be some possible uh room there among independents because that's a lot of people saying yeah, unsure. Yeah. Um, and, then the,
1: and then the group only who's going to be, uh, you know, if both bases are lined up and, and and you know have you know already the cement is has dried and hardened, uh, the only group left to play you can play for turnout or you can play for wooing and and winning over independents. And so that's it. but right now that's not where people are going to be. That's going to show up later in the day. Yeah. Uh, we know, and, it's, and also getting away from the party labels for a while. I mean, there's a geopolitical side to this, and we know that the city, suburban, and rural have also been changing. And you know, Donald Trump's you know red is a more rural, and the more suburban is where the Democrats took over the House last time, um, and the Republicans have to do better. Uh, in those suburban votes, or they start playing with a, you know, lots of acres, but not enough people, and I think that that's you know something they have to worry about.
0: Yeah, well, the, and the other thing on turnout, um, and I don't see it discussed very often, is so there is the idea of motivating your own side, but there the other idea is to demotivate the other side.
1: Uh, <laughs> you, you've definitely been watching this uh, ping-pong match for quite some time, yeah. So you, you make you make, uh, you know, the, their opponents seem so distasteful. Uh, I mean, look, last time in 2016, both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were both very unliked. I mean, it was the first time that anybody could recall that we had two candidates, neither of whom was popular, by a large stretch of the imagination, um, but then in the last week or so, if you dislike both of them, you end up, you know, going for Trump rather than Clinton, and that, and that sort of made the difference in those close places. Um, so yeah, I mean, one thing you can make is if I can't make if I can't make you like me, I can make you maybe dislike the person who's running against me. And that's, and I think that's our politics. And that may be easier to do right now in politics because you know it's, you know, the reason everybody goes negative and does opposition research is because it works a lot. I mean, it's like you know people may say you know I hate the the stink of politics, uh, but then they'll cite you know verse about uh, you know what some. Kind of hate mail I've done, which is a product of some opposition research and some push polls and negative ads and the like. So it, it, you know, it has an impact, and it's, you know, we've saw that in oh gosh, you go back to nineteen eighty eight with the Bush and Dukakis ads, and you know, you know, every campaign has had that part of it, and some of it's clever, and sometimes it's just downright, you know, annoying, but gets gets the message across.
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah, the, the idea of not, and again, like, let's say, let's say, um, just to look at 2016, you know, there are a lot of people that I personally know who said that they didn't like either candidate. Um, and so they just didn't vote. Um, but if they were going to vote, they probably would have voted for Hillary Clinton. That's
1: right. So, so there was an effort to, uh, really undermine, um, who she was. Um and uh you know, and, uh, look the election was very close and uh, you know, uh you know, that when you talk about the kind of votes that separate winning and losing, um, you know, just as a sidebar, uh, you know, I was looking at someone pointed out the electoral college to me and you can take the electoral college from four years ago, twenty sixteen, but all you have to do is flip Pennsylvania and Michigan, which are two states that um President Trump carried both of which could easily go – not easily, but could understandably go Democratic. And you end up with 269 each. So here we go again with another constitutional crisis. We're not saying it's going to happen, but, you know, gosh, we've had everything else. Why don't we have now a tie in the Electoral College so that we can fight that one out?
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, hopefully that's not where we would be headed, but well, I guess no one knows.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of figuring – we deserve we deserve better than that, but who knows? Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's it's been tough. Uh uh, I know the journalists covering politics, it's uh it's become as the news cycle's become a twenty four seven undertaking, so has their life in terms of their work and, and there's fewer of them, and they have to cover a lot more and so it's uh it's become a heavier lift. And uh yeah, I've always respected journalists for what they do and certainly uh, you yeah, know, this this time is both tested them uh in terms of you know just the safety factor but also just in the, in terms of the workload. It's it's a difficult
0: time. Yeah. Well last question is just looking back again at would the impeachment vote Im- impact your vote. Yeah, there's a very real possibility that the uh impeachment, if it happened, might not actually have an impact, moral yeah. impact. What what's your take on that?
1: impact not necessarily directly but it might have an impact in terms of as we we're talking about the uh, what else is not being discussed so if some issues take a backseat to impeachment and let's say health care isn't being discussed as much or the Green New Deal and all these things um, then it has an impact but only because it stifles other discussion uh, because there's so much focused on on the actual impeachment process. It may play out more in that than, in oh, I learned that Trump did this or Trump did that, in terms of the specifics of it. But stay tuned. I mean, this is it's uncharted territory. So we're, we think we've been around this, but Clinton's not a good example. Nixon's not a good example. And Donald Trump, if he ends up being impeached, I mean, that's something he's not going to... Look favorably upon. He doesn't seem to like rejection, and and this this would be an increase in his in his tweets, which happens every time something you know the Mueller report's coming due, and he, he understandably that gets him a little bit unglued.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time today, Lee Marenghoff, and people can check out your work at maristpoll.marist.edu. Yeah. Thank you,
1: Matt. Appreciate it. That's great.